0: Dorsey Kovacian is a Hungarian art student majoring in aesthetics, a lover of books, an ardent supporter of arthouse cinema, and my partner. We discuss at length the difficulties of speaking a foreign language, failure, free will, self-confidence, and the aesthetic of love. My name is Evan Liao. I've been continuously traveling for the past two years. And this is simply my humble attempt at capturing the genuine conversations I have along the way, discovering the essence of what it means to pursue a life well-lived through the contemplation of love, death, meaning, and existence. Dorsey, thank you for joining me today.
1: Thank you for talking to me. It's so bad. I'm so sorry. I don't think I can do this.
0: Dorsey, you got this.
1: No, I, I don't speak this language. Yes,
0: you do, Story. <laughs> no, you need to stop thinking that. Why do you think you don't speak English?
1: Because it's my second language, and I have all my complex thoughts in Hungarian. And it bothers me that I can't convey my thoughts in a way I would be able to in my native
0: language. Is that something that you normally think about when you speak?
1: Yeah, it bothers me because I have my thoughts, and I want to be able to express my thoughts the way they were formed
0: mm-hmm.
1: originally in my native language. What which is, is it? Not ab- English. What
0: is it about your native language that you find so articulate?
1: I mean, it's probably the same for you with English. Um,
0: yeah, but I don't. I only speak one language.
1: Yeah, I would say, objectively, Hungarian is a pretty complex language with a really wide range of vocabulary.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But it's probably just the lack of my own knowledge in English. I don't blame it on English.
0: (laughs) Why do you you think you don't have a grasp on English?
1: I mean, I have it when I interpret things, but when I need to express myself, that's a a different question.
0: I I don't know what it's like inside your mind. I don't know what it's like to think. Yeah, you don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what it's like to be a person who speaks Hungarian and is trying to articulate themselves in English. But
1: it's not about speaking Hungarian, it's about speaking a foreign language.
0: But in your case, that's Hungarian. It is. To me, it's foreign. What's foreign is because we're speaking in English right now. Yeah. You don't when you speak English. You do do you not think that you have something worthwhile to say?
1: I know what I want to say, and that's the annoying part because I'm well aware of what I need to say. It's just, it's just a question of um, how I'm able to express myself.
0: And when you express yourself in Hungarian. How does that differ from expressing yourself in English?
1: It's just more organic.
0: It's more organic.
1: Yes. It's the. It's the same experience, when you express yourself in English. You don't have to think about, um, all the like different like grammatic structures you. You can pay more attention to what you actually want to say.
0: I don't speak per- perfect English when I speak normally. Nobody speaks perfect English when they speak normally.
1: Yeah, I don't speak perfect Hungarian when I speak Hungarian. Exactly.
0: Why do you think you have to do it in English?
1: Um, when you learn a foreign language, you always try to... You always try to um, reach the level of native speakers just because they set the standards for you. And I know that it's a struggle for a lot of, like, a lot of people whose native language is not English. They get really caught up and they talk to someone whose native language is English just because we know that it's your natural way of expressing yourself.
0: Yeah, it's a natural way of expressing yourself. But that doesn't mean that... It doesn't mean when you speak English that it's bad English. You're just speaking English with an Hungarian accent. <laughs> that, that doesn't make it worse, English.
1: Yeah, probably. It's just the lack of my confidence, I guess. I always had a problem with um, with my speaking skills.
0: Do you re- do you and this is coming from somebody who knows who knows you and speaks to you on a daily basis and who also speaks English as the only language <laughs> he speaks. But you speak English better than most people speak English. <laughs> and I want you to know that. And just because you have an accent doesn't mean that you aren't articulating yourself well or properly i want you to know that it's what what you're saying is in your head and it's not an outward expression of your inability to speak english it's in your head it's within your own self and your own confidence and i'm not saying that's not a real difficulty to face and, uh, you know, it's completely valid to feel however you feel, but it's it's within your ability or your lack of confidence in speaking English isn't in your actual ability to speak English. It's within your own self-confidence.
1: Well, thank you for saying it, but I know it's just me being insecure. Um, and... I'm genuinely looking forward to the day when um, I gain more confidence in speaking this language.
0: What do you What do you think does that? How do you think you can gain more confidence in speaking English?
1: I don't know. I, I lived in the UK yeah. <laughs> to improve my English.
0: I mean, how was it moving um, to the UK, not having ever lived... Or been surrounded by native English speakers?
1: Yeah, that's the thing. I was surrounded by mostly international students. And I got really comfortable with speaking English on a daily basis. But just because everyone else around me had um, another language as their native language. And it was so okay to make mistakes in English and everyone was really accepting uh, towards others um, and it's completely different when you're surrounded by native speakers
0: Because Did you feel it was more accepting because everyone else who was within your qu- cohort of uh, people that you lived with all were non-native speakers so you felt like yeah, everyone we is struggling kind of, with English <laughs> everyone was struggling together yeah
1: yeah um, we picked up our like each other's accents <laughs> um
0: you taught each other improper ways to speak certain yeah English exactly words.
1: everyone went to the UK to learn proper English and we ended up just exchanging our like... Messed up accents. <laughs> You're getting an amalgamation
0: of everyone's <laughs> every foreign speaker's improper yeah, English. Yeah, exactly. No, but that's that's how you. I mean, it's how you gain confidence with anything is by it's by doing it, and you can't you can't ever do anything and get good at anything without actually doing it. You that's can true. you can theor- theorize and ruminate on anything for long enough. It doesn't make your ability to do that thing any better unless you actually go into it. You're never going to be a better surfer if you just <laughs> sit in your room and watch YouTube videos on how to surf and think about surfing <laughs> and all the ways in which you would want to ride a wave until you actually go out and practice surfing. It's never going to, you're never going to get better at it unless you go and do it.
1: I know that's right, but in order to um, get yourself out there, you have to have, um, you have to have some confidence. And I personally find it really hard to maintain that confidence level. Um,
0: Do you think we have to have confidence in order to do something?
1: I mean, it definitely makes it easier. (laughs) Um, I know that I have things I've never tried just because I lack the confidence. Um, And I got too caught up um, and too scared of others' opinions. But it's such a general struggle for everyone. Or maybe not for everyone, but most of us.
0: Yeah, I'd say most people struggle with some sort of. I think most people struggle with some sort of lack of confidence. And I think that's, I think, but it also separates the people that. Yeah, I think there's a separation of people that realize they lack confidence and do it, or they lack the skill, but they, but, but they, the confidence that they hold. Is a confidence not in the their ability to do any specific task, but their confidence to figure it out and get better at yeah. something. Um, I think that's a that is a skill in and of itself. I think that's more of a foundational skill. Is the skill of winging it. <laughs> I, I I and uh, this is something we talked about before, which is how how to fake it till you make it. And that's such an important skill to learn, because nobody has anything figured out until you do it
1: <laughs> No, but that's something I genuinely admire about you that um, I think even if you're not a hundred percent comfortable with doing whatever you want to do um you still would put yourself out there and just give it a go as you did with this podcast. And it's so cool because it takes so much to get out of your own head and and make anything happen. And it's really good that You don't procrastinate as much as others do or as I do. You can't really accomplish anything if you're constantly afraid of um, failing.
0: Are you constantly afraid of failing?
1: Yeah, I think I am. Um, mm, I... Definitely limit myself just because I want to avoid all possibilities where I fail. Not because I have like really strong or strict expectations around me. It's probably just me setting those expectations for myself. And I genuinely don't think I can ever meet those expectations. Um, this sucks, but, um, I guess it goes back to the question of, um, accepting yourself, accepting, um, the process you need to go through in order to develop any skill. Yeah,
0: it's accepting the, the journey of improving yourself that it's not a leap into something. It's more of a gradual mm-hmm. it's a gradual incline of improvement rather than this steep like next step. Um and I think it's I think it's kind of easy to forget that and it's something that I deal with as well. It's like I think when I think about how or what direction I want my life to move and all the things I want to do and all the accomplishments I would like to accomplish I see it as in my head something that that I can do a lot easier than it comes than it actually is, or it should be easier for myself. Not that, not that, not that I don't think difficult things aren't worthwhile or, or I, not that I don't think that it's not going to be difficult. It's that I think I should do it. Like I should, I hold myself to an expectation that's whatever I'm doing, I need to be doing it better, quicker, faster, easier, and stronger. stronger. And I don't think that's necessarily healthy all the time because it's I think it holds myself to such a high expectation where I'm never going to be able to meet that. I'm never going to be able to meet the the image I have in my head of what I can accomplish in with the expectations I have to accomplish whatever task I set out to do. But I think that my saving grace here, and 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 it is just one because I have many faults that I don't have saving graces for. (laughs) But I think my saving grace here is is my ability to kind of not listen to that, and regardless of what I might, whatever doubts I might have, or if it's not going the way I want it to go. I, I, I just, I have to accept it. I just have to accept that it's just not going to go that way and move forward and, and adapt to whatever situation I find myself in. Um, it's not that I don't think that difficulties won't arise. It's just when those difficulties do arise, I can. I can look at it from a different angle and sort of reevaluate the situation and and kind of understand that I can move I can move forward in a different way. I don't know if that makes much sense, but it does it does <laughs> <laughs> but I mean that's just that's just how I view a lot of things because i mean I'd, i think I try to do a lot of things and I think the second part to this really is. I know that I can't. I know that I can't do. What am I trying to say here? <laughs> the second part. <laughs> I this...
1: learn English. Yeah,
0: yeah, I know. See, exactly. I'm bad <laughs> at English as well. Um, the second part to this, I really want to kind of hit on, which I think is probably more important than what I just said, which is, I'm. I have to just do it. I. It's just whatever it is, I, I can't let the I can't let the doubt stop me because if I let the doubt stop me, that's a that's exactly what kills anything. It isn't letting doubt stop you. Uh, it's letting doubt kill whatever goal, whatever dream, whatever drive you have. Yeah it's all it's all your attitude towards what you put out there and whatever you mm-hmm. put out there. If you listen to the the, dou- the doubts that inevitably arise, they're only true as if, if you listen to them.
1: Yeah, as long as you have the power um, to overcome these fears, you're good. But also, it's another question. Um, mm, do you... Um, does your performance alter your, um, self image? Because I think my biggest issue is that I, um, my self image, um, it's really dependent on my performance in fields, um, um, I, you a lot um, and I know that it. I shouldn't let any type of failure affect my own self-image but somehow it's just so hard for me to separate these two things
0: I can answer for myself I think it does but I think my image the image of myself is constantly evolving mm-hmm. so whatever my performance or lack thereof happens to be. Yeah. I kind of shape that into my constantly evolving self-image, so it's not stagnant in that way. I don't let it. I don't let it solidify to become so harmful that it stops me from doing something.
1: Yeah, yeah I think that's that's a healthy way to cope with all the struggles you face when. You're about to start something new. It's always so scary. At least it is for me.
0: Why do you think it's scary?
1: Just because I don't want to face failure. Um, Because I never learned how to separate my my self-worth from my performance because growing up um, I was thought that I'm defined by my performance in certain fields and so I guess my identity developed based on my performance in general I guess
0: so failure for you is tied to your self-worth?
1: Yes, I would say.
0: And how do you... What, what would you define failure as?
1: Um, it's always a really disappointing feeling. Um, you disappoint yourself in the first place. Um. And you disappoint everyone else around you. <sighs> but also, I was never the person who, um, who could gain motivation out of failure because I know, I know others who um, operate. In a really different way when failure is, um, is, um, a catalyzer. Is it the word? a word? Catalyst. Catalyst. Thank you. When <laughs> failure is a catalyst, um, for their further performance. Um, but to me, failure, um, was always the like the worst case possible and so I always just try to avoid this by not trying at all which obviously kept me from succeeding so it's just a vicious uh, cycle
0: Are you someone who thinks of themselves as someone who fails often?
1: No, just because I protect myself from failing by not trying. Um, But at the end of the day, I know I'm not fulfilled because I know that fear keeps me from doing a lot of different things. And maybe I could be good at those things. But this way, um, I'll never know. And that's just so annoying. It bothers me a lot every day. Because I'm just thinking about all the potentials I could have. But fear stops me from fulfilling those potentials if it makes sense
0: yeah no makes sense what what would you define success as then?
1: Um, meeting your expectations um, or meeting others expectations those things are kind of interrelated i think but of course if you Set yourself way too high expectations. You just stop yourself from meeting them. So, I guess the first step is learning to be accepting and forgiving with yourself. And I know it's nothing new, everyone knows this, but. In practice I find it so difficult.
0: To be accepting of yourself. Yes. And your faults and your failures. Yes. Yeah, it's a complete, it's a very difficult thing. I think for anybody it's a difficult thing. I think I think failure is a tricky one. Because failure is I think failure is defined subjectively and one person's idea of failure is Another person's idea of success that's um, true it's
1: all so uh, relative
0: yeah and and it kind of goes back to your own personal belief on what failure is, and if you believe failure to be a positive thing or a negative thing, because failure to a lot of people's eyes, like you said, is a catalyst for further success, it's just one step in the right direction towards moving somewhere better or to a better state. And while somebody can do the exact same thing as that person, but views failure in a completely different way, in a way that failure is a demotivating factor for them, And they see failure as their lack of ability and their lack of worth. And so you can come out of the same situation with the same exact actions and the same exact motivations, but come out with two completely different ways of viewing what happened. And two completely different ways of viewing what you did. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it's, I think that's why I think it kind of comes back to our our own mindsets on these things, because it's, it's a completely, and, 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 you know, not to negate any of the trauma that you've dealt with growing up and why, why you believe some of the things you believe or, you know it's all it's all important to factor in um because you know you and i have led two completely different lives and i grew up viewing certain things in a different light than you grew up viewing certain things so you know i want to you know i want to take great caution when speaking about these things to you because it's, it's something that, uh, it's something that I think affects you greatly, and and it also affects me greatly, but it affects me in a different way. Um. And I think, and that's I think that's how I take failure is, is this mo- is this stepping stone for me? Yeah. I and I, I don't see it as failure. I see it as. Just the next step in the in the evolution of where I want to be,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and it's not to say I don't think I fail. I th- I fail all the time. I fail all the time, but I can't. That's unavoidable. It's unavoidable. It's it's you're never not going to fail, and I think that's mm-hmm. I think that's a great point. You're not ever not going to fail. It's going to happen to everyone every day. You know. And you're gonna fail more than you succeed. You're gonna fail doing so many things all the time. That's but it's true. a it's a matter of still recogn- It's a matter of recognizing it and still moving forward, regardless of the failure, mm-hmm. regardless of what happened. Because if you let it stop you, then it's a failure. I think that's. And you know, and I don't even know if that's true because maybe it leads you on a different path that was right for you. Mm -hmm. So it's, and and I think it's sort of like I said earlier, it's all your attitude towards it. If you let it be a failure, it's
1: always your attitude. It's everything
0: is your attitude towards it,
1: right?
0: Yeah. Where do you think our attitude comes from?
1: Um, probably, um, the majority of times it comes from uh, previous patterns we observed growing up. Um, or we just have, um, certain tendencies by nature. I genuinely think that um, we have a nature we were born with. And I'm not saying that you can't change it or you can't uh, learn new patterns. Um, but there's just something you naturally gravitate towards. And um, I think... Um is this case is the perfect example for that some people um get motivated by failing and um and is the worst nightmare for others um what do you think
0: I think attitude like you said, comes from at least in part and probably in large part due to your previous experiences. Yeah. But everything is due to your previous experiences. And I'm not sure if that's a cop-out or not. (laughs) But, But what you're exposed to now dictates your... And I think maybe it's also your... Maybe it's also your the mind your mindfulness to what you some of your thoughts, mm-hmm. you know. I think that's it's yeah. your own ability to recognize your own your own ability to recognize thoughts in a way that you can reflect on them. And once you can once you start learning how to reflect on your own thoughts, you can sort of you can really shape your attitude. Towards them.
1: Yeah. So it's something you can learn.
0: Yeah, I think that I think everything is something you can learn.
1: But you think that we still have some um, innate nature, right? Definitely. Do you th- think that?
0: Yeah, I think there's definitely innate nature to everybody. I think mm-hmm. there's the long-held or the long-standing nature versus nurture debate. Mm -hmm. I think it's pretty ubiquitously agreed on that it's both. I think there's there's so much of our inner nature that shapes our personality, that shapes who we are, just on a genetic level, on a biological level, Uh um, on a neurological level. But also, when we look at Experiences that we have, and when we reflect on the history of our lives, Mm -hmm. we see so many different patterns and so many different ways of operating Mm -hmm. that wouldn't be there if we hadn't been exposed to certain experiences in our past.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree.
0: So, of course, it's, you know, there's, and there's no way of controlling what you're, I think that's, I think that's like, I mean, that's like, it gets into the free will debate. And I think like everything, every, everything, every, every conversation I ever have is like, yeah, but what about free will? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> that's where my mind always goes. Yeah. But, like, why do I, why does my mind always go to free will? And why do other people's don't? Is it because I was exposed to the idea that we might not have free will and even convinced by that in some, in large respects? I, I don't know. And I'm not, and I'm not sure I'm still thinking about the idea of free will. Um, but I've done a lot of thinking about free will and I've done a, I've had a lot of conversations about free will and and I'm not really sure how much benefit versus cons it gives to my life. You know I'm not sure how much me, knowing about free will benefits my life? Do you think we have free will?
1: Uh, uh, that's a hard question. Um, I like to think that we do to a certain extent. Um, and... I, yes, I think we do have free will. Um, but also, I think everything is, um, everything is, um, the How should I phrase this? I think that free will... um So, life...
0: <laughs> Let's start off life. Let's, start Let's go life. back to the original
1: <laughs> question. So, I think that life consists of our free will and our... um our ability to decide on certain things with given circumstances and I think that the question is how well we can um, operate um, with the, the the given circumstances. It's. I think it's all a game of adjusting ourselves in the right way, um, because we we can find ourselves in situations where we just can't change the circumstances, and you still have you still have a choice of. Um, how you're gonna operate with the ge- given circumstances does it make sense
0: yes I get what you're saying do you think that does our ability to operate within circum does our ability to operate within
1: circum given circumstances <laughs> yes you're welcome
0: <laughs> yeah see I told you you're better at English than I am can't speak does our ability to operate within certain circumstances, yes. does that negate our free will, our lack of free will? Because I, the way I see it, we can still operate within the world and accomplish certain tasks that pertain to whatever circumstance we find ourselves in without choice Mm -hmm. free conscious choice so what
1: is the question here
0: (laughs) (laughs) when we think about free will can can free will not be congruent with (laughs) use words i know (laughs) Okay, let me rephrase this. If our ability to operate within the universe is is predicated on our lack of free will, we can still accomplish tasks. We can still enact change within the universe. We just don't have a choice in the matter of what we actually do.
1: Yeah, but... I I think it's so immensely disappointing and depressing to think that um, it's all an illusion. Because what is the point if you don't have your choice? If you think that you have it, but after all, it all goes to the same direction, how do you stay motivated in um, doing the best you can?
0: Because if free will doesn't actually exist, yes. there are still things that better or worsen our state of well being. There are still things that we, can, we know, or at least seem to know, are better and worse things for us and the state of our collective well-being. Um, we, we know that jumping into a pit of boiling lava isn't or wouldn't be the best physically (laughs) for us. Yeah. And I think it's within that we can sort of navigate around better our worst states of well-being. And that's an extreme example, and that's just one singular example, and it gets much more complicated than that. But this is the debate that is so heavily argued about in moral philosophy mm-hmm. if we ha- if we have if we uh, truly don't have free will what are the what are our morals grounded in yeah. uh, can you have morality or objective morality with a lack of free will um and and I think it's kind of Based around the argument that there are still better or worse states of well-being that we can sort of strive to attain collectively mm-hmm. and individually, where we can sort of derive morality or at least a sense of obligation to one another, even if we don't have free will. Where, where do you think... Free will comes from if we have it.
1: I think that we are conscious creatures, <sighs> we are able to practice mindfulness to a really high extent, and um, I know that you value mindfulness. A lot um, and I think mindfulness is a choice you definitely can live your life without being mindful at all and um, once you realize that you can pursue this um, practice then, then, um, then you you start feeling the weight of your own choices, um, and um, if you, if you. If you're convinced that there's no free will, then everything becomes so light just because you stop paying um, as much attention to your choices. Right? I, I'm not sure because I, I think that you know way more about free will than I do. But um, to me, it's kind of contradictory to think that um, we don't have free will on our own, but there's still... A reason to uh, practice mindfulness.
0: Yeah, I definitely think there's a reason to practice ni- practice mindfulness, but I think that's still kind of I think that still can be based on our understanding that there are better or worse states of well-being. However, mindfulness doesn't mindfulness doesn't disprove free will. Or lack of free will. Uh-huh. I mean, what would you define free will as?
1: Um, I think <laughs> it's so hard. Um, I think free will, um, is being aware of um, your own or maybe it's not the right it's such a heavy question Um, free will I don't know Evan next question what is free (laughs) will I have thoughts on free will but I genuinely don't know how to like define it.
0: I think this kind of speaks to something that.
1: But just imagine, imagine that uh, someone is convinced that they don't have free will. It just takes away all the responsibility um, they should feel when they. Um, when they choose to act in a certain way,
0: yeah, I mean that's kind of that's the. Uh, Isn't
1: it so dangerous?
0: I think it can be, and that's the argument that Daniel Dennett, the philosopher, uses in his criticism of espousing that we don't have free will. Uh huh. Is that he uses the thought experiment? Imagine somebody goes into a doctor's office to get undergo a procedure that takes away their free will. And after the procedure is done, he walks away out of the doctor's office thinking that whatever organization took away his free will And is under control of them. That he no longer has it, and so he goes out and murders somebody in the street. And he's on trial, and he blames it on his lack of free will. He didn't. He couldn't control it. He didn't have free will. Mm -hmm. And then the doctors say, "We were only lying. You. We never did anything to you. We never." Took away anything. You have always had your free will. What, I mean, I I might have not gotten that exactly correct, but (laughs) that's the gist of it. Yeah. How dangerous is it to think that we don't have free will? But I think, in so many respects, we don't have the free will we think we have, everything is based on something previously. Everything is predicated on some cause that came before. So, I mean, when we think about why we were even having this conversation in the first place, it was based on a conversation we had before this. And that conversation was based on an experience we had before that. So on and so forth.
1: But free will is deciding whether we want to continue this conversation or not, because um, you always have the choice.
0: Well, yes, I think there's this, there's an idea that there is a feeling of a choice. (laughs) But that's that gets the Stop heart of
1: telling me that I don't have freedom. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but that's what makes it so interesting, is because yeah, it feels like we have a choice. It feels as if I can choose to pick up this book in front of me or my phone. But why would I? Why do I choose the book and not the phone? What tells me to pick up the book? They're equally. Two options here, and then you could yeah, think, but well, that's
1: your choice. That's the power of your consciousness."
0: Yeah, I mean, and, and I think that's there's unexplained. I think that we don't know enough about consciousness to fully be able to definitively say that there is no free will. And you know, I'm, I'm the jury is not. The jury is still out on whether or not we have free will or not, but. Yeah, I
1: don't think we can answer this question, right? No,
0: no. Well, you can't. I mean, that's philosophy is is the study of questions, not the study of answers. Which makes, uh, which to me, makes it so interesting because these are things that are that can be debated endlessly, seemingly some things. But then sometimes, I think there, with the advent of new technologies and the new and new discoveries, we can gain. A little bit more insight into some of the philosophical questions that have been that we have been pondering as a humanity, the species. Yeah. Um. But and you know, free will is one thing that is immensely interesting, but not. You know, I, I and I, you know, I don't know, I don't know, uh, but I think there's, I think there's good arguments on both sides. But even I think most people. I think traditionally, within philosophical areas, are pretty are pretty set on. We don't have like libertarian free will because we don't have choice in everything. There are things where things just happen to us. We have no choice in the matter. But
1: but you have a choice uh, on how you react to those um, happenings around you.
0: Yeah, but you would only react to them. I guess the argument with that to that would be you would only react to it in a certain way because of that thing that happened to you that you had no choice in the matter of. You only reacted because something happened. And you wouldn't have reacted at all if that thing never would have happened.
1: Yeah, but the question is how you react to that certain thing that just happened to you. Cause it feels like you have the, you have the choice, right?
0: Feels it feels like there's a choice, yeah. I think there's a strong sense of choice, but I think that sense of choice is also related to our sense of self. Who who? What is our sense of self?
1: I would like to read that Dennett thought experiment.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very interesting. So, what are we doing here?
1: Without our free will.
0: What are we doing here, Proshi?
1: <sighs> Experiencing life.
0: What makes life worth living?
1: Um, the love you feel every day. If you're lucky enough to feel love.
0: Where does love come from?
1: Um, I think that love doesn't really come from anywhere it's an um it's an ability to um to take love or to experience love but um once you learn how to um Once you learn how to, um, experience it, you can find it so easily everywhere. But sometimes, for whatever reason, um, you keep yourself from, um, experiencing it. I, you're just not, you just don't take it in. I think. What do you think?
0: I think. I think love is all around us. I think we have the ability to love always mm-hmm. with everything we do, yeah. and I think it is my belief that love is the driving force for anything good. If we want to define good as anything or a state of well-being as anything is love. And every time I describe love, I describe it differently. I think it's something I've noticed. Mm -hmm. I never describe it the same way. Every time I think about what love is, I think about it in a different way. And it's something that I alluded to in, an, in the previous episode of this podcast, that love is constantly evolving. Love is constantly changing and morphing into something that isn't the same. Mm-hmm. And hmm Because it looks different within every aspect of life. We can love in certain ways today that wouldn't be loving tomorrow. I think that's interesting because it's so context-dependent. Yeah, it is. It's something that, to me, is the driving force for anything good. But at the same time, is so powerful that I think it's like I said earlier too it's something that it always gives it always returns it never takes
1: do you know the it's from the bible it's um it's a letter by Saint Paul to the corinthians uh the second letter i think um and in hungarian we call it the anthem of love um you don't know this right
0: no i'm not familiar
1: when i was in catholic school we had to learn it and we had to um we had to repeat it every single day and I can find it. But the thing is that in this verse, um, they describe love. and um, But it says that love always all gives and never takes anything away from Really? It. Yes. And I would really like you to read it, but... Um, no, I got confused.
0: What are your thoughts on Plato's Symposium?
1: Oh, that's a really good question. Um,
0: so Plato's Symposium... Describe Plato's Symposium for anyone who doesn't know.
1: Okay, so basically, um, it's Plato's um, it's Plato's main writing on the philosophy of love, on his approach on a philosophy of love, and um, the situation is basically a feast where all the like ancient greek intellectuals gather to um discuss love and what they think about love and i I, um i read it a while ago and i'm not sure i would be able to reconstruct it properly right now and i don't want to say anything um unrelated but um you know that I'm really interested in the philosophy of love in general and it's definitely a um, really important milestone in the tradition of uh, thinking about love and um, I think the idea that just uh, sticks with most people who read this um, piece is that... Um, how is it exactly because you read it recently um that everyone even before um even before humans were born they originally had another half that just made them a whole made them complete and uh before their existence started, they lost this other half, and so um basically, according to Plato, your whole life is just a constant search um for this other half you lost.
0: yeah, I find that I find that a I find it very romantic
1: <laughs> yes, it is. Such a cute idea. It is a
0: cute idea. And and it is, it's a a romantic (laughs) idea for sure. I'm not sure how based in any fundamental reality that is. But I think what I really took from Plato's Symposium is, is, uh, is a quote Human nature will not easily find a better helper than love. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, there's a lot that I think is based on a lot of mysticism. Yeah. But it's, it's something that helps define love somewhat categorically. Mm-hmm. I think I, what I, what I take from Plato's Symposium is that the importance of love, and how the very existence of what Plato's symposium is, is because of how much veneration there is for love, and how much we regard love in such a high esteem, and trying to define it in any sort of solid way, it becomes such a difficult task. Um, and I, and I find it very difficult as well, but uh, you know, to, to, to bring it back to something you said earlier, it's easy to not remind ourselves to love, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes we forget that love is what we need to be searching for, what love is what we need to be reaching towards Mm -hmm. at all times in anything we do. And like I said, it's so dependent on whatever context there is. While at the same time, it's not easy to necessarily extrapolate what we need to be doing. Um, Because we can think we're being loving, and we are, but it's not necessarily what is going to benefit a certain situation. Because sometimes we can think all you want for a certain person is to, to love them and care for them, which is, which is a good thing. I think genuinely comes from a heartfelt, genuinely good place as long as it does come from there. Mm -hmm. But it's not necessarily something that it might not be necessarily something that is most beneficial to another person because they just don't, they don't see it in that way. They don't see it the way you see it.
1: Yeah, I think you definitely have to learn how to love. Um, and it looks different for everyone. Um, and I also know how scary it is to be loving because it just makes you really vulnerable. And I know a lot of different I know a lot of people have uh, struggles with um, opening up and uh, showing their vulnerable sides to others. Um, And you have to learn how to be that way. I don't think you have any other option because you can exclude love from your life but is it worth living then i genuinely don't think that you can live a meaningful life without experiencing love and i'm not uh, i'm uh not talking about only romantic love but you can experience love on a on many different levels um, you can feel love towards anything you do on a daily basis you can feel love towards others, I mean other humans but you can hold love towards nature or, um, or certain activities um, but I think it's easy to forget about it just because, just because, um, this is how you protect yourself.
0: Yeah. Love isn't, even though it might be the best thing, it's not the easiest thing.
1: <laughs> it's not <laughs> so difficult,
0: it's incredibly difficult and i think that's quite a profound point you just made love is uh love's difficult love is love is difficult <laughs> sometimes <laughs> to be able to be vulnerable to be able to be communicative in a way that is based in loving kindness and care and portray that in a way that is genuine Mm -hmm. and thoughtful to the other person or to a situation, it's extremely vulnerable, extremely difficult because we're putting trust into somebody or something else. We're giving up our own individuality, our own safety in so many ways that it feels like there's so many barriers to do it. But you know, when, when, when we collectively see it as a good thing, collectively and individually, see it as a way forward, a way to something better mm-hmm. for ourselves, for others, we can gain an appreciation for doing it more and more often. And be more accepting of it to where it becomes less and less of an issue. Yeah. To to give up something of yourself and give it over to another person or to a situation. Because it's our loss there's a is almost a loss in a sense. It's almost like you're losing something. Mm-hmm. Or at least if it not if not losing lending over a piece of yourself to to something else. To be... Giving a piece of your heart to somebody. piece of your consciousness to somebody. That's difficult. It's because you hold on to it... So dearly. So tightly. You hold on to your own... Consciousness. Your own self. Your own mind. Whatever you want to call it. And... Giving that up... Is scary. And it's... It seems... Mm scary. And I I think what I want to get to at in a lot of conversation that I do have is is like why does that seem so scary? Why is vulnerability so difficult for everybody? Mm-hmm. For myself for for humans, why is this so difficult?
1: Um I think that once you make this step uh, towards um, sharing yourself with someone you're um, you lose control of um, you lose control of everything that will happen to you because um you become dependent on someone else or something else um and that's just so scary of course is the nature of the thing itself um i think it's a general problem we can't really um we can't really um let the control um, out of our hands and um, that's why we love hierarchy so much because um, everyone likes holding on to their sense of control um, and It's just a question of trust, I guess.
0: What is it about control that we find so difficult to let go of? What is it about our lack of control? Why do you think that we hold on to our own sense of control so dearly?
1: Um, because you want to protect yourself. And... It's so difficult to trust someone else. Um, I mean, it's less difficult for some and more difficult to others, but, um, in general, everyone is so afraid of, um, of becoming an easy target for, um, for, I don't know <laughs>
0: <laughs> last question
1: last question already
0: after all this <laughs> very light conversation for yeah this episode dorsey kovishan from hungary <laughs> are you most excited about listening to right now music wise
1: music wise That's an easy
0: question. It's an easy question? It is. All right, what is it? Give the people what they want.
1: Okay, so lately my favorite song is Alison by um, Slow Dive. I
0: love that
1: song so much. Yes. Slow Dive. Yes. I love Slow Dive. They're like original stuff. I haven't really listened to their new album, but... Yeah, they
0: just came out with a... Well, not just came but they came out with a new album recently. Yeah, after
1: like 20 years of disappearing. Yes. Disappearing. (laughs) (laughs) From the music scene, but Alison by Slow Dive.
0: Sweet. Alison by Slow Dive.
1: You like this song, right? Do you know this song? Yes, I
0: know the song. It's great. It is. Love me some shoegaze.
1: No, you need to give another. You need to give your answer.
0: My answer. My answer right now.
1: You didn't expect that, right?
0: No. Top of my head. Oh, this sad girl hours out for me. Sad girl hours over for me. um, Lizzie McAlpine. Lizzie McAlpine. I know you love her. We, I do. Lizzie McAlpine's NPR Tiny Desk Concert. <laughs> best thing I listened to. Best thing I saw on the internet <laughs> you saw in 2022. Or uh, that's my pick. Okay. If you, if it's you, a nice one. It's a, it's a great. One. It's sad girl hours for sure. But that's who I am.
1: We're all a lonely sad girl somewhere. <laughs>
0: And that's and that's how we'll end it. We're all lonely, sad girls somewhere inside <laughs> of us, but we can take steps to be lonely, sad girls together. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Dorsey. Hmm? Thank you. Thank for you being for here. talking to me. Thank you for being on the podcast. I know it was <laughs> difficult. I know it was something of great worry for you but well, we made it. But well, we made it.
1: <laughs> Thank you for talking to me. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye.
0: Quick note at the end here. In an effort to avoid advertisement and continue producing this podcast while traveling, I've officially started a Patreon. If anyone is interested in supporting this show, the link will be in the description. And to whoever is so kind enough to contribute, 10% of all contributions will be donated to the Sunshine Kids Foundation, a nonprofit organization committed to providing positive group activities and emotional support for young children with cancer, the website of which will be linked in the show notes. Thanks for listening.